0: everyone, welcome to this episode of the Connected Families Podcast. This podcast is the second in a four-part series about anxiety. Listen in as Jim and Lynn Jackson, co-founders of Connected Families, together with close colleague and marriage and family therapist, Chad Hange, explore some of the best ways to encourage our kids when they experience anxiety.
1: Here we are, episode number two. Anxiety for parents. Anxiety. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> right. We are talking about anxiety in this series. And last episode, we talked about our own anxiety. That, that was too hard. I don't want to talk about that Yeah, anymore. yeah well, I'm glad we've got that taken care of. We can move on to episode <laughs> now that, yeah, two let's now. let's just talk about the kids. Now <laughs> now that they're parents so are anxious. no longer anxious. <laughs> right. We're going to talk about ways in which parents engage with their kids when they're anxious in both unconstructive and constructive sorts of ways. Yeah. And as the summer has started and, you know, some of the summer issues go on throughout the year, but what are some of the most fresh memories you have of helping parents through anxiety recently with their children?
2: Well, it was really nice to get past all the anxious parents' calling for help with at-home learning. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Who knows, that might be a thing forever. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, bedtime and, you know, meals and all sorts of things can really spike anxiety in kids' potty training.
1: Yeah. So real stuff. And we're going to get practical about that. How about you, Chad?
3: Yeah. You know, one that stands out is recently coaching with a couple and the dad is the coach of the softball team, his daughter was on. And uh, he really said that there were just two things that he wouldn't tolerate. And one was lack of effort and and disrespect. And uh, you'll never guess what his child was displaying. Let me see. Just your tone of voice when you said that. I
1: was like, man, I, 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 I don't want to play I'd this
3: words. Right. Yeah. Right. I just want to sit on a bench. <laughs> I just want to have so, fun. Right. I think I had the same response. I started well, to get anxious. Well, so there's
1: there's performance anxiety. There's dinner time. There's separation. There's bedtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's getting off of computers. There's getting on to computers. We've dealt with it all recently, and we're going to try to get practical as much as we can and in as much as we talked in the last episode about importance of us as parents leading the way calming our own hearts having the sort of attitude towards our kids, really that exhibits the fruit of the spirit. We didn't talk as much about that last time, but that's kind of the general theme. Now it's time to engage with our kids. And I, and I recognize, having been a parent and watched parents and helped parents, there's some stuff that we do because we have good intentions that we wish we hadn't done. There's some stuff that we ought to do that we're not doing that we just don't know about. And But our kids are looking to us, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And uh, Lynn, I know that you uh, have studied up a little bit on the author Lawrence Cohen, whose work we like as it relates to helping kids with anxiety and we'll Mm -hmm. post a link to one of his resources here but he talks about this in a really captivating and I think concrete and helpful way why don't you unpack that a little bit as we start
2: so Lawrence when he was probably in about eighth grade was taking care of his mom who was a classroom teacher her little fluffy yellow chicks (laughs) over a weekend and he needed a science project so he ended up learning some fascinating things just from handling these chicks and if he had one chick and picked it up and just held it for a little bit and then set it down in a cage by itself, it would take about a minute. There would be about a minute-long freeze response where the chick would just lay there. If he had two chicks and he picked them up at the same time and then set them down together at the same time, it would take five minutes because they would sort of get their cues from each other. Is it safe yet? And they'd just lay there. But if a chick that he picked up and then set it down next to a chick that hadn't been picked up, who was just hopping around and having a gay old time, the chick that had been handled would snap out of fight or flight in just a few seconds. There was a huge difference whether or not there was another chick nearby and what kind of cues that chick Mm. was giving to the chick that had been handled. So
1: the moral of the story as I hear it is (laughs) that the stressed chick or chicks, Mm -hmm. needs an unstressed chick to help them out and to help them get back to normal. And is there an analogy you're trying to make here? Absolutely. Say more. For
2: sure. Well, it really does help parents to understand their kids' brains in this. And if you have a more sensitive child, their anxiety system, their self-protection system is going to just be on edge. And there's really four parts to this system. Alert, alarm, assess, and all clear. Mm. And Lawrence talks about this in his book. But alert is that general sense of, there might be danger around, I need to be on alert. And alarm is, oh my gosh, something's wrong, something's happening. And assess is, okay, but now that I've made my initial first protective response, I need to figure out really, is there danger or not? That's the assess part. And if I can get my frontal lobe back Mm. on, then I can declare, okay, it's all clear. I can let my anxiety down. So a sensitive child is more on alert than any other than other typical kids. And their alarm rings louder and longer and hijacks their brain more than other kids, which shuts off their frontal lobe. So they really don't assess the true danger Mm -hmm. well. And it's hard for them to get to all clear. So parents tend to come in, they see their child on edge and then go into alarm. And what do the parents do? They try to immediately impose, assess, and all clear. It's fine. It's fine. You'll be all right. Just settle down. There's no danger. There's nothing to be worried about. And then They're not actually a calm chick. (laughs) They're another threat in the cage.
1: (laughs) Okay. So again, the moral of the story deepened Mm -hmm. here is what kids need from parents is to be that moderating force, that Mm -hmm. moderating presence That helps the kids to understand their own alert systems, to understand viable versus not viable alarms, Mm -hmm. that helps kids learn to assess things more reasonably, Mm -hmm. and then to be able to learn to sound the all clear and go back to life as normal.
2: Right. And the more the parent creates an environment that keeps kids out of the hyper alert, hyper vigilant state in the first place, the more there's just a general sense of peace and calm and connection and... Don't worry, I got you covered. I'm watching for any danger sort of a thing. Then the less that child has to be predisposed to hypervigilance or anxiety themselves. So I'm guessing most
1: parents listening to this are thinking, yeah, I want to be that presence. I want Mm -hmm. to be that second chick for my child. And so I'm going to do some things you know some parents may not be as thoughtful about how to be that chick but most parents want to be the presence in their kids lives that that helps those kids learn to overcome stuff to overcome mm-hmm. their anxiety to deal well with stress and to get on successfully with life
2: right mm-hmm.
1: but there's some things i think as parents i'm recognizing and thinking of some things i did as a young parent that had that good intention but that were not all these things for that my kids needed truly to help them get a grasp of and overcome their own anxiety i became a part of the problem, not the solution, even though I had good intentions. And Chad, you talked about this dad who as a coach yeah. had good intentions for the performance of his daughter, but t- talk more about that story. Cause I think that's very common for parents to, to sort of be in this role of the, the helper to their children. Yep. And we've heard how
3: many parents say,
1: I thought I was doing the right thing and, but it all blew up.
3: Yeah. Right. And I I think the good intentions, again, coming in and and volunteering, good for you. right? So we we need some help here and you're just coming in to volunteer. So dad is the volunteer coach of a team. Volunteer coach of a team. He's got an assistant and uh, he's got some expectations around his daughter and her ability to perform. You know, again, most of us would say that, that the expectations of putting in a good effort and being respectful would be... Minimal, right? I mean, that's the bottom sure. line expectation. And, uh, but dad would say that there she is, standing at home plate, afraid she's going to get hit by the ball. She's got the bat you know, hanging over her shoulder, not like we talked about. And then when I call her out on it, she yells at me and then yells at the assistant coach, which even makes me more angry. And so I kind of jump on that and say, you sit down right there and watch these other batters for a little bit. Okay. You watch them and see how it's done. And they're not jumping out of the way of the ball. The ball's not going to hit you. Right. And so now you can see there's a lot of places where that that can end up. So a dad with good intentions
1: to teach his daughter good lessons, getting fairly intense, maybe even a little dominant about this. Mm-hmm. How did that go for the daughter? Did she get more or less anxious under that?
3: <laughs> yeah. Approach? Yeah. I think that uh, you can uh, predict it, right? Yeah. That, that it did not increase her performance. She did not go,
1: oh, I'm going to try harder now. Thus well, the parents show up at your door well, on your zoom i guess yeah exactly <laughs> some coaching exactly right? we want to work through this so there's the good intention in action we want to work right through on. this
3: what we're doing isn't as helpful as we'd like it to be now what yeah mm-hmm. and when we start to unpack some of those things too to dad's credit at the end of the session he just said i i know i have a lot of work to do right so just even awareness that mm-hmm. yeah it kind of starts with me here um and blaming my child is not probably the Mm -hmm. best place to start. So as we talked about this issue, we talked about kind of the the don'ts
1: that we see parents put in place that don't do this parents, even though you've got good intention, we see some don'ts in place, and then we're going to offer some do's. So Lynn, guide us through what some of the general don'ts that we want to address are here. Parents don't do this.
2: Well, it even makes a little acronym to when we add to our anxiety, when we ADD, we usually do it by either we amplify, we dominate, or we dismiss ADD. So amplify is when we engage with our anxiety and we might placate or try to protect our child, or we just exude our anxiety into the situation, you know. The separation anxiety is a classic one to, for this to show up in, and we'll be talking about that some next session. But where we're so anxious about what's going on that we amplify the child's feelings and we protect them, mm-hmm. uh, and then dominate is when my anger and frustration just fuels this. It's a just shape up. It's the angry eye contact, impatient, forceful. So this um, was this was Coach
3: Dad's yeah, approach.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: that was knock primary. it off. Yeah,
3: what are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Not how I taught you, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah. And then the, the last D, so it's amplify, dominate, or dismiss, is where we get real logical and we, we kind of access that left brain side and we're going, <laughs> I know and you don't. You know, we condescend and we tell mm-hmm. them all the facts about why they shouldn't be anxious. We demand what's wrong. And we tell kids to just kind of toughen up or calm down and we minimize it. It's not that bad. It could be worse. You'll get over it. Just Getting hit by the
3: ball isn't a big deal. I mean, your teammate here just. <laughs> Just yeah. got hit, and they're on first base, and they're fine. Yeah. So here are all the reasons that you shouldn't yeah. feel the way that you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And stop it. Yeah. Right. That's dismissive. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Well, do you want to unpack these a little bit more, or should we take this to break and and come back on the other side with the list of antidotes?
0: I think we should focus uh, on the so list of antidotes. Let's,
1: let's do the <laughs> let's do the dos and not do the don'ts anymore.
0: Here at connected families our mission is to equip parents to lead their family with grace with that in mind we have a number of free resources on our website there's a free ebook called help your child with their anger there is also a number of free encouraging image downloads and even a list of 60 fun activities to do with your kids if you are interested in free resources to help you with your parenting, check out our website at connectedfamilies.org. Click on the resources tab and then click on free.
1: Okay, we're going to take some time now. We've we've learned that we even if we have good intentions, don't amplify by placating and overprotecting. Don't dominate by getting angry and big with your energy to Get your kid's anxiety to go away. And don't be dismissive by just telling kids the reasons they shouldn't feel that way. Those are normal things that we tend to do. Even, I would suggest, defaults for some parents. Mm-hmm. It's just what we've learned to do. It's probably Absolutely. what was done to us. Absolutely. And so writing new scripts in our minds and hearts about about how to navigate this really involves thinking through three do's that we're going to introduce to you.
3: Yeah, so we're going to talk about how to validate. So we we want to validate and empathize, kind of normalize with our kids. We want to regulate with them. So uh, we're in this with you, uh, not uh, kind of doing something Mm. to you. And then the last one is empower. We want to empower them to be overcomers, to be able to uh, take control of their own bodies and uh, to move forward through those anxious times.
1: So let's uh, dig into validating kids. This is this is a hard first step for a lot of parents because we feel like if we validate these feelings that my child has that they ought not have, that it tends to reinforce it. Yeah, We've found the opposite to be true, haven't we?
2: Mm-hmm. yeah to just help kids be able to name their feelings without us like diving in and matching them or mm-hmm. you know having the same feelings dominate us to have empathy, but to normalize like oh, you know it's you're four, and it does seem really scary to a four year old in here, doesn't it? I mm-hmm. remember when I was little and I kind of thought there was something hiding in my closet, and it, it took me a while to get you know to realize there wasn't, but I understand feeling a little scared right yeah, now. That yeah. kind of makes sense to me. So you're not diving in yeah. with the same feeling. You're validating, but letting kids know that this this too shall pass mm-hmm. and you can help them work through it.
1: Yeah, or even I get scared sometimes too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. And what would that look like in the example of, of a child at bat afraid that the ball is gonna hit them in a softball game?
3: Yeah, I think the, the same is true of being able to uh, talk about, what would happen? And, and being afraid of that myself. Personally, I remember playing baseball and being terrified of yeah. the ball. So even dad in that story of being able to say, oh, wow, well, it is. It is scary. That ball, let's feel that ball. It is kind of it is kind mm-hmm. of hard, isn't it? And just validating, being able to say, that could sting a little bit, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I love the sharing my own story or you know, having dad in this story right. talk a little bit about his process of what that was like how he could relate to that of fear or pain or whatever it might be. Yeah, when our young Kids who are looking to us to be that moderating chick
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> are able to know we've been through this yep. and that it was scary for us and we got through it. That can be part of the moderating process, can't it? And mm-hmm. I, I
3: think the other piece in there is to focus then on when the child has stood in there. Right? I think it's uh, to, to validate that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, I, I saw that even though you were a little scared, you stayed in there for three bitches. Yeah, how, 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 yeah, how did you do that? How did you do that? Yep, and uh, you can feel the different tone and even the receptivity of a child receiving that
2: interaction. There is something powerful when we do validate kids' feelings, especially if we label them, the whole principle of name it to tame it. And we'll have a link about that for you in the show notes. But Dan Siegel has a whole video that's just excellent on helping you understand how labeling a feeling sends signals to the fight or flight center to mm. just, it's not so bad. I'm starting to figure this out. The worst danger is a danger that I don't understand. And so when I can begin to name it, and that, that helps me to mm-hmm. start that process of I can deal with this, I can uh, figure I like this out. A lot.
1: So that's really the beginning of helping our kids develop a language and a thought process for their own anxiety rather than Mm -hmm. just telling them how they should navigate it, helping them sort out how they navigate it, Mm -hmm. putting it to words, validating their process and their growth and their experience. And, you know, Chad, you mentioned this, this thing about telling stories and I know in my work with other people's kids a lot of them who struggled with high levels of anxiety a helping them tell their story a little bit was good but for me to tell my story was also really helpful but there was another part of validating that was just giving them words to start to talk about what their process would be if it went the way they wanted it to Mm -hmm. like what do you wish would happen when you stood at home plate and what do you think it might take to do that How would you want to be? Yeah, and so that really sort of gets into some of the empowering parts, too. But starting to put words, starting to put a story around this experience that's your child's story, not your story about Mm -hmm. what's happening, is such an important part of validation. And then we move on to think about how to regulate, how to help our kids learn to self-regulate. And Lynn, you said regulate with them. Mm -hmm. What does that mean?
2: Well, the official term is co-regulate because that's how kids first learn to regulate well actually we regulate them initially when they're little babies by hugging rocking bouncing cuddling all those things and then we begin the next phase is we begin to co-regulate with them by sharing in calming activities and so a helpful thing to think about, well, what would be calming is to think again about that phrase, what don't you do when you're under physical attack? If you are in true danger, what does your brain not do? Because if you can engage in those things, then that's going to calm that fight or flight system down. And so you don't stop to hug anybody when you're under physical <laughs> attack. Mm-hmm. So just gently offering a hug to a struggling child can be enough to begin to start that. Yeah. We don't laugh or play when we're under physical attack. So doing fun, silly things when a child is a little upset can be a calmer. So you might even, if you had a child that was anxious about going to the bathroom by themselves, you might grab a couple of their stuffed animals and... Their their second favorite might be saying, oh, she's too little. She's going to be too afraid to go into the bathroom by herself. And then their favorite stuffed animal might be saying, you don't know her very well. She's really learning to be brave. Oh, no, she's not. Yes, she is. You get going back and forth. (laughs) And then you could turn to the child and go, which one do you think is right? Mm
1: -hmm. Or which one do you want to be? Mm -hmm. Or which, yeah. Yeah. So so this idea of co-regulating, what are the natural things parents do as their kids are growing to co-regulate?
2: Well, there's all sorts of movement things that we can do. And then, you know, as we talked about in the sensory diet post, to use up the fight-or-flight chemicals that send blood away from the frontal lobe, send it to the motor cortex and the big muscles. Use that up in fun interactions. And parents can sort of intuitively do that. If a child is struggling, you just kind of start to, you know, shoot some hoops of an older child or do a little play wrestling with a younger child. But put the child in the stronger position.
1: So in some ways what I think I hear you saying is is if there's a stressful situation that you know is stressful for your child over here Don't wait to get over here to do your your teaching and your training and Mm -hmm. your teaching about regulation. Do it over here. So again, back to the batting example, Chad. How are you thinking about what Lynn is saying as it relates
3: to helping your daughter overcome anxiety in the batter's box? Yeah. So one, you know it's coming. Okay. So I I think that's always the important piece for parenting is oftentimes we act surprised when we know something's going to happen. So this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So what, what are the ways that we can have this conversation, even practice? in a little bit of a safer setting where now somebody's not throwing a ball from 30 or 40 or 50 feet right away. They're, you're now just pitching the ball up and letting them hit it or hit it off a, a tee or just, just getting familiar yep. with a ball that might be coming at them from 10 feet away rather than 30 feet away. Yep. I also think about even practicing getting hit yeah. <laughs> right. And in, in uh, really safe kinds of ways, that the ball comes at you on on the ground. You're rolling it. And did that hurt? And mm-hmm. and uh, what what would be so bad if if it did hit you? And but then then I think the other. Pieces getting away from all of the this bad thing could happen to me to what could really happen if I enjoyed this and if I relaxed mm-hmm. and what would the the result that yeah. I want to have happen look like yeah and uh, helping getting you know help our kids sorting through that to get to a What we would talk about is kind of a preferred future. And uh, that just sets the tone, I think, to help our kids a lot.
1: Yeah, so I think, in short, what I'm hearing is as it relates to this idea of regulating with your kids, co regulating with regulate with your kids, is play with it before it's a big Mm -hmm. pressure. Right play with it right and and don't do it in a patronizing way because kids will reject patronization right away yep. so you got to experiment with this you can't laugh at your kids if they're not in a place to be laughed at no. you no. can't laugh with your kids because they might feel laughed at if you're not careful about that, right? But what are the ways where the pressure is off where we can go go through these things that might be anxiety producing in scene B, but we're gonna take control of scene A?
2: Yeah, and Lawrence Cohen talks a lot about this. He talks about adults sort of playing the big clumsy doofus giant mm-hmm. so that the child has to figure things out or protect the, the bumbling adult or in play wrestling, you empower the child to be stronger and push the adult down on the couch and you sprawl awkwardly and you know laugh and so just helping kids to to feel strong to feel confident to feel powerful more and more throughout the day can really affect then how they're going to deal with that typically anxiety producing situation
1: i know that in my work with one particularly anxious young man and i spent a lot of time with him the importance of eye contact was mm-hmm. in the context of co-regulating yep. was really important. Mm. When he was super duper stressed, eye contact didn't work. But when he was a little less stressed, I could say, hey, look at me. Am I scared? Do you need to be scared? Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit, Lynn, because I know you've looked at this too about the importance of eye contact and the nature of eye contact.
2: Right. Including our facial expression at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So as we as we can give a a, a persona, a facial expression with safe, loving eyes. It's very helpful in a child just mirroring that, you know, just that thing. Look, look me in the eyes. Are my eyes scared? No. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I just want you to know that. If there's not a condescending, well, then you shouldn't be scared either. But just look at my eyes. Okay. Are, Are you forgetting that? Yep. Look me in the eyes.
3: Yeah. Well, and if you know, just the, even the difference of the child striking out or failing in some way uh, at the softball with the the dad down on one knee with a warm, yeah. a gracious look, and uh, you know he'll get him next time, whatever that might be. I think yeah. I think we need yeah. to prepare ourselves for that. Yeah. But just think about the reception and likely. I don't know for sure, but likely the disrespect. <laughs> May go down as well when I'm down mm-hmm. on one knee and I go, "Oh, girl, you'll get him next time." That's yeah, that okay. Was, that was t- that was a tough go, but as opposed to what have I again. been trying to tell you? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, it's almost like there's no other response that that kiddo's got in terms of options. She's yep. going to come back and fire at you. So the
1: last element of. What you ought to do more of is to empower kids. Lynn, again, you've thought a lot through this from from the perspective of these kids who are super anxious, whose brains are offline, and we're working to help them learn, not just tell them, but learn to self-regulate, get back online. What does empowerment mean? What does it look like? What are some clues for parents to do more empowering things
2: mm-hmm. well it's really about teaching them the skills they need for when you're not around and they can begin to self regulate so an important part of that is it's even the technical term introception which is our perception of what's going on in our internal organs so teach kids not just the feelings that's a great start but also to pay attention to their bodies so that instead of just ramping up into fight or flight they can go, oh, I have that icky feeling in my tummy. That Mm -hmm. means I need to go do something. Or Mm -hmm. my throat feels tight. That means I need to go talk to someone or go outside and play or whatever. So teaching them their physical triggers is is a good starting place. I think there's a lot of grown-ups that could
1: stand to learn this. (laughs) (laughs) What's
2: that big word you used? Interoception.
3: Interoception.
2: We Mm -hmm. talked about
3: grown-ups in the first
2: episode. I know.
3: I think that's such a
1: huge deal. Like in order to To help our kids learn to monitor their breathing and Mm -hmm. understand the feeling of the pulse in their temples or the warmth in their hands as they get upset or the redness Mm -hmm. of their face. Like how many of us as grown-ups are aware when we get upset of what happens and are able to put voice to it? Like, again, this is about empowering our kids, but it's such a key part of empowering our kids to lead the way with grace into this idea of being aware of our breathing. I mean, breathing is such a huge Mm -hmm. thing, Lynn. I've read a ton about it. I know you've even studied it some. But just say a practical word about, about the importance of breathing for our kids and what we can do to help them feel empowered to breathe better.
2: Yeah. It's the, the most transportable <laughs> self-regulation device because you don't need any equipment. Mm-hmm. And breathing <laughs> is actually one. the body's number one priority. So when breathing goes well, it's really a good nervous system calmer. Mm. So you can teach little kids a, a technique just called dragon breaths. And an important thing to start us off really is we model and we invite. We mm. don't Command because if you say to a little child, Okay, you need to take some deep breaths, you've just basically stopped them from the ability to do that because mm-hmm. now they're even more stressed. So we model and we invite, and we might model doing some dragon breath. Big, long, fiery exhale, get all that tension out. Another thing that you can do is get party blowers when you're trying to teach kids long exhales, because kids will tend to, you know, unless you've got a structured way to help them (laughs) learn to actually breathe deeper and slower. So those are just some practical tips, but you know, even if they can't do it, it's like, it's all right, I'm just gonna take some deep breaths so that I can be calmer, and then eventually that will be helpful for them.
1: Let's go back to the daughter in the batter's box, empowering her in that situation, even with some of these tools, bigger breathing, paying attention to your body. And Lynn, you may, you may want to help chat with this one a little bit. Like, how do you put this into play in real time as your
3: daughter is in the batter's box and it's time to perform? Yeah, well first I'd love to get your feedback. I think the I think the breaths though, focusing on what you do have control over here. And so while you're standing in the in the on deck circle and you're going to bat next <laughs> Taking a couple breaths, calming yourself mm-hmm. down, walking out there. Perhaps uh, you know, lots of times when you're on the on deck yeah. circle, you're practice swinging the bat. Maybe you're jogging in place. You're doing some of the big muscle sorts of things to mm-hmm. get yourself to a place where you can focus in on yeah. the ball that's coming toward you. Uh, and then I think there's a, also a thought pattern there, too, of rather than don't strike out, don't strike out, don't strike out, don't strike out, right? <laughs> you know, which just yeah. increases more
1: anxiety. Sure. To I'm, I'm actually imagining a game back in the regulating with them before we get to the real game. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, practice taking a deep breath as I start to throw the pitch so mm-hmm. that by the time the ball gets here, you're you've got your deep breath in. Yeah, Just focus, just do that and see how that goes for you. Take yeah. a deep breath and then swing Yeah, when Some the ball practicing is practicing there, right? And, and practice it and have fun with it. And, oh, I think you were letting your breath out a little bit. But then mm-hmm. now you're in the game time. It's like, remember you're breathing. Remember to breathe. Right. That's it. How was your breath? And then you can, instead of, did you strike out or not?
2: How was your breathing?
1: Because right. that's that thing you've got yep. control of, right? Right. Yep. Back to what you have control of. That's a
2: great of. connection to a link that we'll put in the show notes, of TED talk by Brett Ledbetter of building your inner coach mm-hmm. and it's teaching kids to talk about the process that supports the end result instead of getting anxious about the end yeah. result it's a great little video particularly for athletic kids but the, the one little sensory motor thing I would think of even before the child stands up while they're on the bench they can be doing little push-ups where you just put your hands right next to your butt and you just push up and rhythmically... You're kind of cute
1: when you do this. <laughs> all right, that's enough. <laughs> oh,
2: wow.
3: Okay, hey, I
1: need to grab a drink oh, of water.
2: i got to get the editor on this one. But it gives you big muscle work before you even get up to pick up the bat.
1: Yeah. I love all of this. And I, it, it, it harkens me back to the days where I was with young people every day, trying to help them feel empowered to understand their bodies to understand their uh, their even their breathing and how am i going to work my way into less anxiety and more confidence Mm -hmm. the idea of where God's spirit fits into all this ought not be lost, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is not just a physical activity that we're doing for our kids to empower them. It's really empowering Mm -hmm. them to understand this peace that surpasses understanding, to get glimpses of it even as youngsters and to bring the efforts and the energy that we're putting into coming alongside them and empowering them to the word of God and to God's purposes Mm -hmm. for them to know and understand these things so that they can walk in, God's purposes with more confidence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I think, I think to Joshua, in the book of Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous. And mm-hmm. the more we can, throughout the day with a, with a struggling, anxious child, to focus on little instances of bravery. And you know, creating little just right challenges mm-hmm. for the next bravery step and put our focus on how everybody gets afraid, but you are learning to be brave mm-hmm. and have that be our focus yep. can really be helpful. Yeah. I think back to the the young man that you worked with, Jim, and you really set him up for perfect little just right challenges of bravery steps and that was transformational for him
1: yeah it was and you know with him one of the big things was a you know to create an identity around him people used to always tell him with sort of a negative tone you're you're a piece of work and Mm -hmm. with frustration yeah and I was like well a piece of work that's kind of similar to God's handiwork and so let's let's reframe this (laughs) and teach a phrase that is you're a you're a piece of work. Mm-hmm. God built you for cool purposes to do cool things, and when I say that to you, I want you to remember that's true. So then, when we're working on overcoming anxiety about going shopping or about going to a certain location where there's fear that there's—I mean—and this was high-level anxiety that mm-hmm. there's going to be somebody there with, the, you know, with a bad want to kidnap us or mm-hmm. or shoot us up or give us drugs or you know something like that—to be able to say, you know, we're going to get through that. Remember how, with a smile, and you're you're a, you remember you're a piece. of work and what what does a piece of work do when they come into times like this I take a breath Mm -hmm. yeah let's breathe and let's let's look at each other and let's smile and Mm -hmm. let's overcome this together Mm -hmm. and to see the progress that he was able to make in under that sort of care was a lot of what motivates me to do the kind of work we do now Mm -hmm. because I could see that at at that grand level something was happening that we needed to capture and give to parents as Mm -hmm. as best we could yeah
2: Um, you brought his identity into the nitty-gritty challenges that he was going to face yeah and all the specific steps that he would experience in a situation that could send him over the edge, and you brought that identity of bravery into each one.
1: So I do want to just ask quickly, or at least mention the notion. I mean, I'm just telling a story about when I was enlisted to help somebody whose child had extreme anxiety. Sometimes that's necessary. That's helpful. How do we know? How do we know when our kids need more help than what we can give them?
2: I think if you're really Mm. working to be calm presence and to empower your child and to do some of these suggestions that really can be so helpful and you're still feeling stuck and everyday life is being significantly impeded by a child's anxiety Mm -hmm. that's a good time to get some help yeah but i would defer to our licensed marriage and family therapist chad hangay for the answer to that (laughs) question
3: (laughs) yeah well i think it's i think that's right on you're doing the things that you know to do. And oftentimes when parents come to us with anxious kids, then they'll say, well, should I send them to a counselor or something like that? I think it it starts to, you start to get the thought of I'm gonna send them away for help because it's their problem. And it's never that simple. It's never right. just their problem. It, it's, a, and I come from a family systems perspective where the family really is working to solve the problem yeah. and the issues that that we're dealing with. And so oftentimes I'll say, well, let's start with coaching. Let's start with you. You're the willing one here. Sometimes kids aren't so excited or willing to go get help or go to a counselor or a therapist. So I always want to start with a person who's willing first and then and then let's work on some things there. And if the problem problems persist or things over time are not improving, that, that would be a good indication that there might be some other things to take a look at here. Right on.
1: That may be about a parent's capacity. It may yeah. be about a young person's capacity or the combination thereof.
3: Yeah. And it's an, and, you, know, you start with an assessment. So we're just gaining information yeah. here. Let's find out kind of what's going on and uh, what the potential issues might be yeah. and uh, make a plan from there. Well,
1: a lot of stuff, and I feel like we could talk about this topic for a long time, the do's and the don'ts of helping our kids feel empowered to tackle their own anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's real, and there's more anxiety in our world maybe than ever. And so we hope these ideas are helpful. And if you would like a little bit of more help than what we were able to give you here, reach out to us and let us know. We're here for you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Connected Families Podcast. We hope you got tips that you can use in your parenting today. Please subscribe and leave us a positive review so other families can find us and learn how to parent with peace and connection.